here we go. Back here for hour number two of overtime on a Friday night. Uh, back after a, a little bit of a abyss because uh, I've been sick. But I'm um, happy to be back. And uh, just bear with me because of the voice. It'll get a little raspy as the show goes on. But uh, we're just we're, we're here to do the job. Um, 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in uh, in our conversations. Um in this hour, we'll cover the big weekend of college basketball ahead of us. We'll, we'll uh, break down a couple of the big games, and we'll also take a look at a couple of possible rule changes in college football as well. So stay right here on overtime. But first, we head to the phones. We have Joshy Boy on the line. What's up, Joshy? What's up, guys? How are you? Good. How are you, sir? Doing well, man. You are. Uh, you feeling better, William? Yeah, you know, um, I, I just went through my first bottle of Gatorade in the first hour. Now I got a, a second one, about seventy-five uh, percent down. So, uh, you know what you need, William? Say what? You know what you need? What do I need? Pedialyte. You know, that's what all my roommates told me too. Um, yeah, I just, I just had too many leftover Gatorades. I decided to bring them. Gotcha. How are you doing tonight, Max? I'm doing great. Uh, great to be able to break down so much uh, Tennessee basketball. It's nice to have uh, some positivity, it feels like, around this team. And this time last year, it felt real doom and gloom. Yeah. Yeah. William, I, I wanted to ask you guys, I know the line came out Bama minus two. Do you think by tip-off that line could uh, jump up to possibly maybe Bama four and a half or five and a half and we could get a still if the balls? Well, I think depending on how that line moves, and look, you know, Vegas doesn't tell everything, but, you know, when the, the Kentucky-Tennessee line came out, Tennessee was originally the favorite. Kentucky moved to the favorite, but it was it, it went back closer um, Tennessee's way come tip-off. Um, I think if this one balloons in, in favor of Alabama to the five-and-a-half range, four-and-a-half range, then there's a little bit of a concern there in, in, in thinking that uh, Vegas' models project a, a big win for Bama. Um, yeah. I, I think one of these games, though, I think when they're two really good teams, I think it's hard to project um, how you know how that game will will play out. I, I'd be very surprised if this got anything over three and a half. Um, I think yeah. it, we could really just kind of see it hover around the two mark. I agree with that. So, uh, what's your guys' takeaways from uh, the win today over Bowling Green, Tennessee baseball? I know Tennessee was facing a really good pitcher from Bowling Green. Um, you know, I think Billy Amick, two home runs, uh, you know, that guy continues to rake. And really, you know, he was highly regarded coming in to Tennessee, and he's lived up to the hype, if not exceeded it. And, you know, Bowling Green, obviously, you know, it's another one of these mid-major level teams that, you know, doesn't offer a ton of insight into how this team can do moving forward and, and so forth. But 11-1, to obviously the offense has been humming at home. Um, another performance like that tonight. And, and, you know, the rest of the series, you'd like to see more of the same. I think, you know, getting – the nice thing, too, about these blowouts is you can get some guys at bats and guys relief appearances that generally, you know, wouldn't be doing so against great teams but could end up being good depth pieces moving forward. Um, so I, I, that's what I do enjoy about, uh, you know, games like today where you can get a look at some guys that, you know, maybe need to help you down the road. Yeah. So uh, I, I kind of have a – Bold prediction, really not bold since they're off to a hot start hitting home runs, but I think both Tavares, Tears, and uh, 
Billy Amick are going to hit 20-plus home runs this year for Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, Tears has been great, and, and that was a guy that we had talked about being kind of the X factor for this team. He's really turned into one of the factors for this team offensively. Um, and, and, you know, the more the merrier with the offensive production, and um, he, he's been great. He, he's a guy that um, had a couple of opportunities last year. Um, we really yeah. wanted to see him get going this year, and so far he's stepped up to the plate literally. And nice to see Blake Burke, you know, get a get another home run tonight. Um, starting to see some improvement from him. I think he's a guy that, you know, is very. Everyone wants him to succeed. Um, and you know, maybe games like this against you know lower level opponents build up his confidence to face some of the better pitching he's going to have to see. And you know, one other thing, AJ Kazi gets the start, his first start of the year. Seven innings, one hit, one run. I know it's Bowling Green, but you know, there's capable hitters on that team as well. And that was a really yeah. impressive performance. You know, maybe is he the number three moving forward? That would be great to see. Yeah, very true. So, uh, William, what's your takeaway from uh, the Auburn game? Your Max's takeaway. I know it was kind of a shaky first half. They looked good. They let it halftime, but uh, kind of some picky tack fouls here and there. But Tennessee rallied and. Uh, from Dalton Connects, 39 points. Yeah, I think our, our takeaways were pretty similar. First off, Dalton Connect, wow, you know, how uh, how special is he? And I think what we both uh, kind of categorized is his ability to get it done at three levels and also kind of be the guy that wants the ball, wants the moment, and wants to be that closer. He knew, um, like he did in the Missouri game, hey, if we want to win this game, I've got to make plays and put the team on my back here. Um, that's exactly what he did. Um, and I think also, um, outside of Connect, the ability to come back from eight down. Um, and I know you're at home, but this Auburn team's a very good team. It's not like the Missouri squad you faced, um, you know, last week. This is a really right. good team. Um, being able to come back from being down to them, I think, says a lot about this team. And and that, that's also situational basketball. Come tournament time, you know, if you're down by eight points, how do you handle that? Tennessee now has an opportunity. Sure. Um, and, and, and made the most of an opportunity to say that, okay, we've experienced this before and um, we know how to handle these situations. I also thought the defense um, did a really good job getting a shot contest. Yeah, guys, out the door, what would be in Tennessee's best interest? Would it be uh, to have a high-scoring game with Alabama tomorrow or a low-scoring game? And I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. Thank you so much for your call, Josh. We always appreciate hearing from you. Um, I think if it's a high-scoring game, that means you probably lost um, because Alabama's offense is so good. Um, you've got the significant advantage defensively here, um, being the fourth adjusted defense in the country compared to Alabama's number one adjusted offense. Um, I think if this is a low-scoring game that favors Tennessee. Um, you have the opportunity to kind of muck up how they play, um, and I think that favors Tennessee if it's if were to be low-scoring. Max? Yeah, you know, I don't, um, you know, the way Auburn plays, it's hard to find a conventional low-scoring game. You know, I don't think any there's any possible way this game is one in the 60s or low 70s. But I think the the easiest way is kind of what we saw the first time around. You held Auburn or Alabama, excuse me, to 71. You can do something like that. Yeah. You went. Do you you know against their defense, you can hold them to 71. We might still put up 90 like we did the first time, and it's technically not a low-scoring game. Yeah. But I think if you can hold Alabama to a lower output offensively, that's your best uh, bet to win. Because I think to win, we're still going to have to score a good amount just because of 
you got to capitalize on that poor defense. Yeah, we appreciate your call, Joshy. As always, 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in and join in our conversation. All right, it is officially March. Uh, happy March to everyone out there. It is the, the best time of the year if you're a college basketball fan. Really, if you're a sports fan, too, it's a fun one. It's awesome. Um, so as the calendar officially turns to March, one should expect every game on the men's college basketball docket to have added significance, and that is true to a point. We are not yet to the time of the month where a loss means the season is over, but undeniably every team wants to be putting its best product on the floor at this time of year, and uh, this is exactly the situation in which teams in our um, starting five find themselves. So these are a couple of the the top games of the weekend. Uh, we get a handful of top 25 matchups. Um, we'll go down um, and, and look at these teams and, and who needs to win, what needs to happen, and some of our takeaways from each of them. Let's begin with Kansas and Baylor. Number nine, Kansas uh, heads to Waco to take on the number 14 Baylor Bears. Um, not exactly panic time for the Jayhawks, um, but a really bad loss to BYU at home um, earlier this week. And there's been a, a sense of anxiety around the program. Um, they've split their last six games, three and three. Um, no Kevin McClure obviously um, has something to do with that. But his his status is also up in the air as well. Um, kept His bruise, uh, what is it, a bruised knee, I think, um, kept him out of Wednesday's uh, loss to Brigham Young. Um, but what would a loss on Saturday uh, mean for Kansas would that ensue panic now for the the rest of the season if Kevin McCuller doesn't play I don't think it does because this team has been markedly worse with him out he was out earlier in conference play and they had their struggles yeah. then he came back for a few games we saw them win a couple big ones um, this team has also not been great on the road I mean nobody really has in college basketball but there's definitely been a, a big 180 in teams in terms of this team's performance at home and then away from Fog <laughs> Allen uh, if he does play and they and you know is a hundred percent and they drop this game, I do think there's some panic if you're Kansas. But I'm generally going to give Bill Self the benefit of the doubt until he proves otherwise. Sure. Twenty-one years. This is a crazy stat to me. This is his twenty-first year there. Uh-huh. They have the worst seed he has received as a four seed at really? Kansas. He's been a top four protected seed every single year at Kansas. That loss to Brigham Young was only their 18th home loss in his 21 years. Yeah. Um, they, you know, I'm gonna. It's kind of like you know, in in college football with Alabama or someone else, you know, mm-hmm. Georgia. You give them the benefit of the doubt until they can prove uh, you have something to prove otherwise. So I think Kansas, especially if McCuller doesn't play and they still drop this one, I'm, I'm not pressing the panic button for them quite yet. And McCuller does have a lot of production for them. Averages I mean, yeah. you know, 19 points a night. Uh, shoots 46 percent from the field. Um, he, he's he's kind of. You know, obviously they have Dickinson, but um, it was he, apparent in that BYU game that they needed him because yeah. they don't have that go-to second option without him. Yeah, um, look, I, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button yet, um, but I, I do think teams that are trending in the wrong direction come tournament time are, are teams that usually um, don't do well come tournament time. And I'm not saying that you know, obviously McClure being injured um, is going to affect the way Kansas looks, but. Um, if they lose another one to a Baylor team, we'll dive into here in a second. Um, I think Baylor has some really good aspects about them. There are also some things I'm not a big fan of. Um, I think Kansas needs to win this one on Saturday to make sure they understand that, look, you know, we're still a good basketball team. We can still get it done. You know, Losing four out of your last seven is not something to really um, be excited about heading into the Big 12 tournament and the actual tournament. 
Um, I, I, look, I look for Johnny Furphy to get a little bit more um, involved as well. I think he is kind of the X factor for that team. I agree. There's so much attention on Dickinson, so much attention on McClure. Um, Furphy, when he's hot, he's a really big advantage for them, especially from the three-point line, um, shooting 51% on the year. When he gets the opportunities, he usually makes the most of them. I'd like to see his volume increase. I know he's just a freshman, um, but this is a guy that, look, McClure's out. Who's going to step up? Um, I know Dewan Harris has tried to be that guy. I'd like to see Furphy get more involved for this Kansas team. Not panic time yet, but obviously uh, losing four out of seven right before the season's over, not that good. Um, now, Baylor. Baylor's a, a really confusing team to me. Some days I really like what I see out of them. Other days I'm like, man, this this team's okay uh, for, for Baylor standards. Now, obviously they're better than an okay team, um, but for Baylor standards I think they're – just an okay group at times. I like Messi a lot. Um, I think he's a, a, a NBA caliber player. Um, Walter, being their star as a freshman, I think kind of hinders them sometimes as well. What do you make of this Baylor team? You know, I, I think them and a couple of these other teams in the Big 12, it's a little harder to gauge because of how good that conference is. Yes. You know, every loss for the most part is a good loss on paper, and then every win <laughs> for the most part is a good win. So you, it's you know, easy to have quick reactions to a team like Baylor because it's like, oh, you know, they beat TCU on the road this week. That's a tournament caliber team. That's a great win. And then they'll lose a game to Houston in overtime. It's like, well, that's, a, you know, it's Houston. Who cares? Or at BYU, that's another top six caliber, top six seed caliber team. So it's definitely confusing. I think this is a team that is defensively, um, they, they've played a little better as of late defensively, and that's something yeah. I'm going to look for to continue against Kansas. Um, when they lost to Kansas in Fog Allen, they still held Kansas to 64 yeah, points. Yeah, it's a close game. Yeah. yeah. Um, if their defense can continue to stay on the, the trend it's been growing towards, this is a very good team. Um, but they have some games where they lapse defensively, and then they look very beatable and very pedestrian. Yeah. Um, so this is a game that you know might be able to gauge a little more, but once again, some of these Big 12 teams, it's just hard for me to really figure them out. Yeah, uh, their defense has been, I think, the biggest concern for me at times this year. Um, and, and they've had moments where they've been really good. Um, but then there are other times the, the historic really good defense with Baylor um, has kind of gone away. I think their other problem is having their go-to offensive weapon um, being Jacoby Walter, who's a freshman. I think sometimes you kind of see the – uh, the the brain lapses of a freshman in these big games in some of these spots. He's a I mean he's a hell of a player, really good player. Um, but I think sometimes uh, the moment not it's not like it's too big for him, but I think teams know how to make him uncomfortable, like you saw against you know Houston last week. Houston, especially in that first half, made Baylor very uncomfortable, and they were the home team. Um, so um, I, the Big Twelve is a very competitive conference, and. I don't know if you saw this week. It was Clemson's coach uh, yapping about it, yeah, um, saying how they, you know, they don't play anyone in the um, out of conference schedule, but they're all, you know, all have high net ratings, and then they just beat each other up. Yeah, um, I think it is a very deep conference. The fact that BYU never won in the uh, West Coast Conference and now comes in and is contending in the Big Twelve, I think, is a, a pretty unique storyline. Yes, definitely. Um, but I, this Baylor team, again, going back to it, I think their defense is too hot and cold, and I think they're a little too reliant on on some freshmen. Um, now, going over to Marquette and Creighton now, uh, the Golden Eagles and Blue Jays are among the nation's most fun teams to watch, um, firing on all cylinders. Uh, both average right around 80 points a game, um, and then they met up earlier this season. Um, 
Uh, Golden Eagles won 72 to 67. Um, Crane's Baylor Schreierman has found it easy to find his range in friendly environments, uh, environs of Omaha as of late. But Tyler Kolick and Cam Jones, he's been on he's been on fire recently. Great. Um, this is a a really intriguing matchup. Are the Golden Eagles on upset alert in this one? You know, I think this is just two heavyweights. Um, I would lean towards Creighton just because of the fact that it feels like these teams are destined to split the season series, and you mentioned how Marquette won at home. Um, So, you know, two very good teams, two teams that have Final Four-type ceilings to me. Um, Creighton, a great inside-out game with Baylor Shiren and then Ryan Kalkbrenner, who's one of the better centers in college basketball, didn't miss a shot on Wednesday when they beat Seton Hall. I believe he was 10 of 10 from the field. Yeah. that my only concern with them is their depth. They really only play six guys regularly. Um, and, and how does that fare against a team like Marquette that likes to run a little bit? Um, and, you know, what if someone gets in foul trouble? Yeah. But and, and it's no knock on Marquette. You know, they, they beat him the first time for good reason. Tyler Kolich, maybe, you know, the second best, third best point guard in college basketball in my eyes. Um, and, and they have Cam Jones as well. They lack a little bit of an interior presence, which yes. I think they can get exposed with here yes. in, in Kalkbrenner. Um, but this is one I'm just excited to watch. I think it'll be a fun, close matchup. The un, unquestioned second and third best team in the Big East uh, and both top 12 teams. Yeah, this one reminds me a little bit of when uh, Marquette traveled to UConn. Um, a tough road environment to play in. And Creighton, as you mentioned, with Ryan Kalkbrenner, um, he's a an imposing threat down low, just like UConn has in, in Donovan Klingon. Um, Marquette doesn't have the personnel um, to defend guys like that. Now, they have the personnel to counter it, but they don't have the guys to stop it. Um, and I think Creighton's very similar to UConn. Um, UConn's just a lot deeper. Yes. Um, and, and Creighton, as you mentioned, six guys deep. Um, you know, Mason Miller, who I know from, from Memphis, he went to Houston. Um, but uh, Mason Miller being like their, their sixth man, or and I know he starts sometimes as well, but uh, that's not a deep enough team, um, in my opinion, to, to make a, a long run in the tournament. But I think in this matchup alone, um, I think playing at home where Crane's been really good, you saw what they did last week against UConn. They looked like um, the UConn, but like two times better uh, yes. version of them. Um, so I think this is a tough matchup for Marquette going on the road. Going on the road in college basketball is hard in general. I just think they're outmatched in this one. I, I think Creighton um, is able to get it done. I'd, I'd say the Golden Eagles are an upset alert. Um, out of these two, who can go deeper in the tournament, though? That's a very good question because I think both have you know somewhat severe flaws yes. that kind of cap their ability. You know, I don't think either of these teams can win a national title. No. For Creighton, it's the depth, like we just mentioned, and for Marquette, like we just mentioned as well, <laughs> it's the lack of an interior presence. You know, you're going to run into teams. I mean, you look at some of the top teams in the country. All all the top four have very good big men. Yeah. Um. You know, so that's my concern with them. I think I would lean. Creighton because they're a little more experienced. They were a few plays away from the Final Four last year. Shireman's a senior. He's been in the tournament multiple times. I think McDermott, you know, he's a very underrated coach nationally. The depth will catch up to them at some point, um, especially if someone gets in foul trouble in the tournament. But I'm just a little more their experience, and I think they're a little more balanced offensively and defensively in terms of being, you know, good guard play and good uh, front court play as well. Yeah, I think good guard play goes a long way in the opening rounds of the tournament. 
Um, that's where you see a lot of these upsets. Teams, you know, uh, will, uh, a guy will catch fire, um, go for 30 points because mm-hmm. he's a you know really crafty guard. Um, you know, like a Tremont Waters from LSU, you know, something like that. Um, but as you go on in the tournament, you've got to be able to win multiple different ways. Crane can do that. Um, Crane can win with Ashford and, and Schreierman uh, on, on the perimeter. Trey Alexander is a guy that also um, kind of has been swept on the rug a little bit this year, uh, a little bit this season. Um, I love him a lot, too. He's Very a guy talented. That, yeah, he's a three-level scorer, a guy that I thought could have gone to the NBA draft last year if he wanted to. He comes back, uh, match him with Kalkbrenner. This is a really good squad. I think if they just had two or three more guys – um, Death wise, like they don't even need to be good. Just yeah. like you throw like no, a Ganey yeah. on that team or yeah. Mayshack. And I, I, you know, when when Ryan Nebhard decided to transfer, I was so confused. Now I know his role would have been different with the with bringing in Ashford and and, and those guys. But um, you know, if they just had like a guy like him, and he probably wouldn't be coming off the bench. But they just had options off the bench that could come in relieve and still play those um, you know meaningful minutes. I think this could be. And I told my you know friend the other night, I was like, if there were one team. That were you know out of outside of the Arizonas and the top teams, I think Creighton could make a run to the Final Four with what they have on that starting group. Now, if they play a team that tires them out and gets them in foul trouble, they're in trouble. But I think Creighton has the opportunity to go long in the tournament, a lot longer than the Golden Eagles. I love Cam Jones and Tyler Kolak, um, but guard play only goes so far. Um, so I, I'd say it got them beat last year in the second yes, round. Yes, it did. It went Michigan State, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and now moving over. Um, to a uh, two teams in the West Coast Conference um, and Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Number 22, Gonzaga takes on St. Mary's, uh, who's ranked number 17. St. Mary's been hotter than anyone. Um, currently hold the longest winning streak in college basketball uh, with 14, I believe. Is that, does that sound right? Yes. Um, and uh, Gonzaga got a big win last night, too. Over San Francisco, that game was played in the Chase Center. Yeah, over the Warriors play, uh, Gonzaga could barely find a lead in that first half, and then boom, jump out to a, a like a thirty to six run, uh, blow that game over. Gonzaga gets a, a big win, um, much needed one for their tournament resume. Um, the Gales have already locked up the WCC regular season crown and top seed in the tournament, while the Bulldogs is kind of a. Uh, kind of like an Uno Uno reverse card this year. Um, the Bulldogs are the one trying to fight for the tournament, um, the, the big tournament. And the Gales have already locked it up. They're most likely in already. They've already got the number one seed in WCC. Um, is this a must win for the Bulldogs? I, In terms of their tournament aspirations, I think they can get by <laughs> if they lose this game. That that win last night was a quad one victory. Yeah, um, Big win for Gonzaga. Their their metrics are through the roof. I mean, if they if they had a couple more quality wins, they'd probably be like a four or a five seed. They mm-hmm. just lack. They have two quad one wins. I don't think it's a must win. I think they can get in the the lack of quality teams along the bubble and their metrics. That win at Kentucky is aging very well. Um, I think that that they'd probably still get in. But if they want to avoid you know playing in the first four, or being a a ten seed, a, an eleven seed. They got to win this one. This is a, a premier, a, as good a win you can get. You couple that with the Kentucky win, and Gonzaga is probably a, a seven or eight seed. They can still win the conference tournament, obviously. Um, but I think this game, honestly, to me, I will change my opinion more so on St. Mary's, I think, than Gonzaga really? based on the outcome. I think if St. Mary's drops this, it kind of shows a little flaw to me that, okay, you know, they've been beating up the WCC, they beat Gonzaga in Spokane, but this Gonzaga yeah. team seems to have improved a lot since that meeting. If Gonzaga goes in there and handles them, 
I, I start to get a little worried if St. Mary's is, you know, inflated a little bit because of the conference and the wins they've been racking up. Sure. Um, then less so. I think Gonzaga is a very good team. I think that they're a team that nobody is going to want to see in round one or round two. They have really? so much talent, great coach. Um, and, and if they win this one, that would further cement that, you know, this is a team that's, you know, they're ranked in the AP top 25 for a reason. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a two seed sees them in the second round as a 10 seed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think you'd want that. Yeah, so these two met in Spokane last month, a 64-62 win for St. Mary's. A physical game, um, and, and I think there's a really cool matchup in this one as well. Um, Ga- or the Gales, Aiden Mahaney, and, and Zags, we just talked about Ryan Nebhard, the, the crane transfer a second ago, um, now with Gonzaga. Uh, both capable of finding their own shots. Um, Ryan Nebhard averages uh, six assists a night for this Gonzaga team. Uh, very crafty like his brother, uh, Andrew, who also played at Gonzaga now in the NBA. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say this is a must win, um, but I think they need to win. Um, I, look, I, I don't. I don't like playing with the. Are we on the bubble? Are we? You know, the last four in. I don't want to deal with any of that crap. Do you have to win the conference yeah, tournament? Yeah. I don't want to deal with any of that. Let's go ahead and get it done, so we know. You know, know where we stand, because I know that the. The, the bubble and the the last four in, they're all out there, but that's not the committee putting that out. That's no. just experts and people that have followed it, and they're valued opinions. Um, but you can't, you know, base on you know base your season on what Joe Lenardi's telling you on ESPN. Um, so I think they need to win. I think you got a big win last night. You showed when your offense is rolling what this team can looks like uh, can look like. Um, and I, I think you know St. Mary's is going to try and and make this a physical one once again. But if Gonzaga wants to get in the tournament and wants to make sure they can you know, go into the, the, the WCC tournament with some confidence, you need to win this one, in my opinion. And I think you've got to be able to get that offense rolling. It was last night a complete mismatch down low. Um, and I, I think if you could try and find that again against St. Mary's, that's where you get a little bit of comfort, a little bit of a, a bubble between the bubble, yes. uh, per se. Um, another matchup in the SEC, another top, uh, top 25 matchup is number 24, Florida, and number 18, South Carolina. Uh, the Gators, what a story they've been. Uh, surging as of late, continuing their momentum and move closer to a top four finish in the SEC. Uh, Gamecocks have been up and down, but appear to be on an upswing again um, with wins over Mississippi State and AM, kind of the bubble dwellers, if you will, uh, in the Gamecocks. Um, South Carolina has stayed near the top of the SEC standings, primarily thanks to their strong defense. Um, but um, Florida's turnaround this year has been fueled in part by an arrival of uh, a trio of, of transfers, Zylan Poulin, Tyree Samuel, and, and Walter Clayton Jr. Um, all three of these guys have totally given this Gator squad a huge boost. This is a good squad. What do you make of them? They're very good. And they, you know, talking about how Tennessee, you know, seems to be on an upward trajectory at the right time. Florida yeah. is one of those teams. They came into conference play kind of an afterthought. Not you yeah. know, Maybe they scratch and claw to a, an NCAA tournament berth, but they're not threatening for anything. No. And now they look like you know one of the 20 best teams in the country. Uh, they've really figured out their offense, I think, and and where to give who to give the shots to. Todd Golden, I think, is a very good yeah. coach. Um, I mean, he he got San Francisco to the tournament, yeah. doing great things in year two at Florida. And Mississippi or South Carolina is a weird one for me to figure out. Um, you mentioned how they have you know they have high quality wins, but some of their wins when they beat those good teams almost felt like fluky. You know yeah. that win over Tennessee it was like they play Tennessee ten times. That's probably the only time they win it. Holding Tennessee yeah. to fifty nine points, that's not yeah. going to happen very often. 
Um, so this will be very telling to me about these two teams. If Florida can go there and win this one, that says, okay, the, the hype around Florida is real. We saw them almost win in Tuscaloosa. They probably should have. Yeah, they very well um, So if they can keep this hot streak going and pull this one off in Columbia, I will be thinking very highly of them. Probably the team you know, outside of Alabama you at least want to see in the SEC tournament if they find a way to win yeah. this one. Um, and then South Carolina, can they get that marquee victory at home you know, kind of prove the doubters wrong of, look, yeah, our metrics aren't great. Our style of play might not be pretty, but we beat good teams. What else do you want us to do? Yeah. Um, so I think Florida is the better team, though, to answer that question. Yeah, I, this Florida team is, is interesting to me because, you know, growing up, I, I followed them closely. I'll, I'll just say that. Um, but, um, you know, you're so used to the five stars they bring in, you know, Devin Robinson, Casey Hill, Scotty um, Lewis, Scotty Lewis. <laughs> uh, yeah. He was uh, Trey Mann as well. Um, and then even, you know, going farther back you know, the Patrick Youngs, um, just, they were bringing in these top tier players. This year's team kind of goes away from that. It's winning in the portal. And you've seen a couple of teams like Arkansas and Memphis live and die by the portal. Doesn't go well. Um, but for, for a new coach, um, like Todd Golden, You've got to kind of do that to find a foundation, and he's found that. Um, going into the year, Riley, Riley Kugel was supposed to be their main guy, um, was projected to be an NBA player on a lot of people's boards. Now he's kind of taken a back seat to Tyree Samuel and Zylan Poulin and, and Walker Clayton Jr. because these guys are a lot more efficient, and they get it done, and this team's good. Um, it's, it's an untraditional Florida team. But they get it done, and this is one of the hotter teams in college basketball, trending in the right direction at the right time. Um, this is a team I do not want to see tournament time, by the way. Um, and, and it was in Lenardi's uh, projected bracketology last week, or I guess this week. Um, Florida was in the same bracket as Tennessee. Um, and it's hard to beat the same team twice in one year, especially when one team's trending upward since you last played them. I'm not saying Florida would beat Tennessee right now, but definitely not a team you want to see with the way they've been playing. I think Florida's the better team in this this matchup with South Carolina. Um, real quick, not on the roster here, but um, Michigan State-Purdue I think is another one of note. Um, Michigan State, not really on the bubble anymore, um, but a team kind of – Trending in the wrong direction after a big not win. living up to expectations. Yeah, not you know they got that big win over Illinois. Um, haven't been playing as well as of late. Um, can Michigan State make any noise on what is it they play on Sunday? I think uh, no tomorrow night. Oh, at tomorrow, eight. tomorrow night. Okay. Um, can they make any noise against this Purdue team? I think they can. Um, kind of similar to what I was saying about Kansas earlier. I'm always going to give Tom Izzo the benefit of the doubt. I mean, the longest consecutive tournament streak for any coach in NCAA history. Um, they have the talent. It's been a confusing team to me because in a down conference with the talent they have, yeah. you think they should kind of be doing what Purdue or Illinois is doing where they're just beating up on teams because they're better than them. And they yeah. haven't done that. It feels like you know they'll have a game where they get the great defense but the offense kind of goes away. They'll have a game yeah. where they get good offensive production and the defense kind of lags behind. So can't really figure them out. I, I kind of – like I probably like them too much. Like I'm yeah. kind of like how you know we're talking about Vascovi, where it's like we're waiting for them to do yeah. something. That's how I feel with them instead of just maybe accepting they are who they are. So I think they can give Purdue a game. That's a really tough place to play. But yeah. I I I will go on a limb here and I say I think that's a five point or less game. I think Michigan really? State shows up well in that one. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, Izzo's got the track record of doing well in the tournament. I mean, last year that team had no business making a, a run like they did, and they were able to. Um, so. I, I don't think they'll beat Purdue, uh, especially on the road, where Purdue's really good at home. Um, and I don't think they have the personnel to defend Edie either. Uh, but I think if this team is able to perform well in the Big Ten tournament, 
um, where there are a lot of just mediocre teams like uh, like a Maryland. I don't think Nebraska. I think Nebraska is overrated. Oh, very. Um, and they I'm, can't win away from. I'm home. so tired of betting on them too. <laughs> I, I fell for the trap last night. Um, but it's a very mediocre conference. I think with their coaching and and the guys they have. Hell, this was a, a top what number four in the yeah number preseason. four going into the year. Um, with the talent they have and the coaching they have. I think if they can do well in the Big Ten tournament, I can maybe see them making a little bit of noise come tournament tournament time. Um, but I, I don't think they'll they'll be able to. I, I, five points. That's a that's yes, a close one. I, I think they show up in this one. Interesting. We'll have to see. All right. Great conversation on college basketball. When we come back, we'll talk about the possible rule changes in college football right here on overtime. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, if I'm being honest, that was me. Just a downright irresponsible and plain bad coach. Then, SM Athletics changed the game. I want you to picture this. I walk into their store, a coach with a vision. SM Athletics didn't just see a coach. They saw a team's potential. And they delivered custom uniforms so striking. Our team's spirit soared. From cutting-edge apparel to top-notch equipment, SM Athletics transformed our presence. No more unreliable online orders or envying the other team's style. SM Athletics stands for quality, design, and on-time delivery every time. Coaches, elevate your team with SM Athletics. Call 865. 966-3434 or visit smathletics.com. Get the best for your team. Delivered right and on time. So, elevate your team's game by contacting SM Athletics today. Rev up your savings at Volunteer Auto Group. Your one-stop destination for quality vehicles at unbeatable prices. Cruise through their vast selection of pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. They've got the flexible financing options that make it easy for you to drive home today. Volunteer Auto Group, where every deal's a winner. 1501 Callahan Drive. Check them out online at volauto.com and tell them Fan Run sent you. Hey guys, it's Logan Quentin from the 920 Podcast and Fan Run Varsity Spotlight. Yes, it's the Cookie Man, and I'm here to tell you about something sweet. Crumble Cookies is the fastest growing cookie company in the nation. After only four years, 500 plus stores are in operation in 50 states with many more in build out. Just a reminder to go see the Crumble Crew at Parkside Drive or Clinton Highway. And please, come check out the new location in Maryville. 1765 West Broadway, Sweet C. A brand built in Tennessee and born from the love of the game. Inward Half revolutionizes golfing comfort. Crafted by a former pro and dedicated enthusiast just like you, our luxury performance wear guarantees you stay cool and comfortable through every swing and every day. We're not just a brand. We've set out to create a lifestyle for those who understand that impeccable style and premium performance are a hole-in-one. Enjoy the walk-in with Inward Half. Are you ready to play hard and work harder? Are you looking to take the next step in your career with a company who celebrates hard work and appreciates those who do it? Then it's time to join the movement at Axel Logistics. Axel is looking to expand their award-winning sales team with logistics consultants who are outgoing, ambitious, and thrive in a fast-paced environment. If that sounds like you, visit axelogistics.com to learn more. Make sure you tell them you heard about it on Fan Run Radio. Axel Logistics, now is your time. (laughs) 
Brian. He's like, you you walk into a bar, any bar it's in Knoxville. Playing. It's playing. You it, you walk in, boom, Mo Bamba. Back here on uh, overtime, a little glitch in the system there. Uh, don't know what happened, but uh, we're all good on a Friday. <laughs> um, yeah, let's uh, let's move over. Great conversation about college basketball. Moving over to college football now. Um, and college football is one step closer to widespread coach-to-player helmet communication 30 years after the NFL first introduced it in football. Uh, the NCAA Football Rules Committee on Friday created a proposal that would allow FBS teams to use the technology between a coach and one player on the field who would have a green dot in the back mid midline of the player's helmet. Communication between the two would be cut off 15 seconds uh, with 15 seconds left on the play co- clock or when the ball is snapped, uh, whichever comes first. Uh, the committee also proposed the creation of a two-minute warning, uh, which the Athletic first reported last month. Uh, the creation of a two-minute warning for the second and fourth quarters, like the NFL, is meant to emphasize certain rule changes and help the flow of a game broadcast by preventing some back-to-back media timeouts. However, um, I think you're kidding me if you, if you say this isn't for more commercial breaks. Um, uh, the proposals must still be approved by player uh, playing rules oversight panel in April to become official, but that is likely to happen. Uh, these proposed communication changes come after a successful bowl trial run uh, where six games allowed helmets, uh, helmet communication tools and 12 allowed sideline tablets as well. Uh, there were zero issues with the technology in the games, Coaches and officials said um, in the trial run, the helmet communication never turned off and multiple players on the field could use it. Uh, this proposal adds the same time and player limit as the NFL. Uh, Max, will ask you here, um, are these changes good for college football? You know, I think the, the technology aspect is good. Um, you know, that's kind of current times football. I think it would allow for more seamless communication as well. Um, and especially some of those road environments, I think that would be a benefit to especially both teams, really. Um, I know team, you know, crowds try and get quieter on offense, but you can't always sure, do that. Yeah. Um, the My only question with that is, you know, who has access to that? Because it says it will allow FBS teams. So would some teams choose not to do that um, and still use the old uh, style, you know, from signaling from the sideline? You know, at a team like Tennessee that's more up-tempo, would they rather that? Um, you know, rather than trying to, you know, basically get in a huddle and give out the play after they get in the headset. Um, so that would be a, a question I have. And then secondly about that, does every team have, act, you know, does a team like Akron, do they have the funds or the ability to get that technology or is it just kind of going to be something that haves and that have nots, you know, where the, the non-Power 5 or Power 4, I guess now, would kind of be stuck, you know, not getting full access to this or then would it create an un uneven playing field sure um but no in general i am a fan of that now the two minute warning um doesn't really i don't have a strong opinion one way or the other i think you know the nfl does it i think it works um you know but i'm not i don't watch a college game and be like man they should have a two minute warning (laughs) um it they're they're trying to say would limit back-to-back media timeouts i'm not sure i understand that because to me it created an it build in a certain commercial break. You guarantee yeah. at the two-minute warning you're getting a commercial break. And then the, my thing would be, do they change it then? Because I know in the NFL, after the two-minute warning, there aren't any more full commercial breaks for the rest of two minutes. Team calls a timeout. They still stay there. Sometimes they'll do that like split-screen yeah, ad yeah. that and they've like done those. recently. Yeah, I like those. Um, but they don't have a full media timeout anymore after the two-minute warning. 
could that help possibly? Because in college football, if, you know, if a team calls timeout with a minute left, they will go to commercial break. So I don't know. Um, I can take it or leave it with the two-minute warning. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think it's actually a, a little um, – I guess a little late, a little overdue to, to add these in because um, I, I think that um, especially with the sign stealing that happened this year, that whole scandal, I think this should have been put in place earlier on. Um, if the NFL does it, we're uh, the ultimate goal after college football, you're going to go play at the NFL level. Um, it's a lot easier for these coaches in the NFL level um, to, you know, tell these guys a uh, play in the mic than, you know, have some. You know, SpongeBob, Apple logo, yeah. um, you, know, all, you know, all that stuff, the, the, the boards they put up. So I think it helps the, the learning curve for a quarterback and for um, players with the, the, the technology in their helmets. Um, it helps them adjust to the NFL level as well. Um, I, I think this is a little overdue, in my opinion. I, I don't think it affects anything. And I think also, look, hey, we're allowing it. If you still want to yeah, do exactly. what you've done, do it. So I don't think it harms anyone. If you want to do it, do it. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Um, now for the two-minute warning, um, I, I don't. As you said, I'm not like looking at a college football game and saying, "Damn, they need to add a two-minute warning." This thing. Um, no, no one's saying that. But um, I think it does also kind of add a little bit of a, a competitive twist to the game. Now, okay, you have three timeouts and a two-minute warning. You know, a couple of these games that we've watched. A two-minute warning timeout could help these teams out. Who knows where these games go on from there? So it gives them a, a, another kind of, a, at least for a fan perspective, a, another competitive twist on how these games could play out. Um, so I don't, I don't mind it. I do think it's uh, for a another commercial break, which I'm sure with these, you know, the 7.8 billion dollar ESPN college football yeah. playoff deal, I'm sure they're so excited to sell a two-minute warning package. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and then with the the, the sideline tablets, I, I'm surprised they weren't already in place um, because I mean it's not really harming anyone. Uh, I mean they're they're calling down from the from watching the play anyway, explaining it to them. I, they might as well be able to see it. I don't think I don't think they're bad. I think they're they're neutral changes really, in, in my opinion. And I think for the helmet technology, I think it's good. Um, now. This is kind of what I already answered. Are these changes overdue in your opinion, however? Yes. I, I Like I said, you know, the NFL, and like you, you mentioned at the start of it, NFL's had this technology for a long time, and it doesn't harm anyone. It helps. Um, and, you know, like you said, not every they don't have to use it. So yeah. I think it's to give the teams the option is overdue and, and should be welcomed by most college football people. Um, are there any other changes you'd like to see lobbied? You know, there's some things I would like not to see lobbied. Okay, we'll do those uh, first. We'll do those first. The, the conversation already that we're trying to move to a 14-team playoff. Yeah. I mean, what what are we doing there in my eyes? And it's all driven by these conference, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC wanting to ensure that they get a certain amount. And, you know, they're the big two. It almost it seems like there's almost like a power two and then a, a lesser power two. But I think um, it's also for the, the, the TV contracts. Now they can sell another game yep. or, or more teams, you know. And I to me, you know – I wasn't a huge fan of 12 team. I thought eight was the right number. Okay. I can live with 12. What are the 13th and 14th team going to add? Yeah. You know, what What are those teams bringing to the table? Yeah. You know, this year that would have been like Ole Miss and, you know, Louisville. And it's yeah. like, what are the, you know, they're not beating anyone. They're not, they don't belong in a in a postseason tournament in my yeah. eyes for football. Um, it's just money. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting fed up with the direction that college football seems to be headed. Um 
you know, there, there needs to be some transparency, I feel like, and at least a foundation. And it kind of feels like the Wild West, you know, NIL transfer portal is a whole other conversation. But just with the playoff and the way these conferences are operating, you know, it, it, it's bothering me and I think is hurting the product. Um, and, you know, we've seen coaches leave for multiple reasons. But yeah. I just, you know, I, I understand why the SEC and Big Ten are doing it. Like, I get it. You're yeah. greedy. You're going to, you know, do what's best for yourself. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's hurting the product and, you know, the, the conference, all that stuff. It just – and now that they're trying to push for 14-team playoff, what are we – like, what is it – just yeah. tell us you want money. You know, there's other ways to make yeah. money than just trying to, you know, water down the sport in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we had this conversation, I guess, it might have been on Monday when it was proposed um, – but my thing is, all right, we got to 12. Why the hell are we changing it when we haven't even had 12 Exactly. Yet? Like, I don't know how it works. What, what, what was the uh, – was was the, the I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think 12 – I've always thought 12 would be the right number because I think you get your, your conference champions in, your teams that are good enough to meet the criteria to play in the event, um, and then I think you're fine. The 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, then we might as well just make it March Madness yeah, for college football. If we're, just, if we're inviting everyone, hell, let's just bring. You won nine in. games, you get to go to yeah, the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, like, come on. Oh, you won nine games and got blown out by Kansas State. Uh, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll just push that to the side. Come join us in the playoff. It not only waters down the product, um, but it makes it unengaging for the college football fan. I'm gonna be less. Uh, I'm gonna be less inclined to tune in to Alabama versus. Um, We'll say Oklahoma, just for example, Oklahoma. Then an Alabama versus, uh, okay, Missouri this year, a really good Missouri team. We didn't get to see those teams match up. Um, what does that game look like? Okay, that's a better matchup in the twelve-team format than a team that we know is really good to a team that had a couple really good wins, but also lost a couple bad ones. Um, I think it waters down the product, and that would be. Um, I, I totally agree with you there. Any things you want to see? change though like anything added in that would be positive you know i i don't love the the proposed conference tie-ins i just think that yeah we can acknowledge these conferences are better but there's years where it's not i mean there's years where the big 10 is not the second best conference in college football um so that to me is something that i would like to see changes if you're going to go 14 don't do the comp you know do the conference champs maybe you can say you know two from the power four but I, you know, I don't like insuring a third team from two conferences where sometimes that third team in certain years, I mean, like Iowa this yeah. year would have been borderline the third, you know, they lost the conference title game. They could have been an argument to be the third Big Ten team. And then, you know, why why are we buying, why are we giving the third team in a conference just guaranteeing them a spot? So yeah. that, if they're going to go there, that's one change I would like to make is at least leave it to at-large bids and not sure. just general conference tie-ins. I don't love conference tie-ins in general. Yeah. I, I think... That's when you get teams that are like Florida State or Louisville this year, yeah. and a 12 team would have been guaranteed a you know a top four seat. Why? So yeah. I that would be a, a change for me if they're heading that direction. Avoid the conference tie-ins. Just take the 14 best teams. And this might be a, a little too um, overdone, but I think this could be done at the NFL level and college football level. Uh, why are we still having with all the technology we have? Why are why is a, a set of eyes of a referee um, the marker for where we Great spot point. a ball? Great point. You know, um, if if we, there's so much technology that we can know, we can put yes. a little microchip in the football, and if it crosses the line or touches the imaginary line, it signals a first down. We have no more 
you know, bad calls, bad spots. I think that fix a lot of things. Now that's very um, futuristic, but I think it simplify a lot of things. We no longer have to guess where the ball yeah. is. <laughs> no longer have to go to review to see where the spot of the foul was, uh, or you know, all that kind of situation. Um, I think that'd be one thing to, to look at. I don't know what the technology that it, I mean. I'm not a. I'm a you know sports talk radio guy. I'm not a, a, a scientist, but uh, I don't know what that entails. But um, I think that'd be something to look at. I think a lot of people would 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 vouch for it as well. I'd like to see college go to the NFL format of defensive pass interference. Wow. I I think that'd be. I mean, for a couple of these bad defensive teams. Yes, that is true. Yeah. But sometimes to me, it <laughs> they get bailed out. Yeah. I, I agree. Some of the lower levels, it'd be, Hell, it'd I mean, be terrible. Hey, if you played a couple of these teams, your first play is throw it down the field, let's get a P.I. Yeah. You know? No, J- Joe Milton would have thrived. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's just to me, like, sometimes when you watch these playoff or big games and it's like, oh, that, that could have been a 50-yard touchdown and, mm-hmm. you know, they get penalized 15. Why wouldn't a cornerback do that every time if he yeah. gets burnt? So yeah. I, I do agree there's not, on a, on a lower level scale, it would be harmful, but maybe, you know, for the playoff or something where yeah. – they they could in, implement that just so I, I just think it creates a better um, more competitive style when teams actually have to get you know get forty yards when they should have had a forty yard pass. Yeah, quick break. The final segment of the hour coming up next on overtime. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over six billion dollars in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft last year. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. They monitor and alert you to identity threats you'd miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become a victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issue. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help protect your financial info. So all you have to worry about is what you do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com, save up to 25% off your first year. The promo code is HERD, promo code H-E-R-D, to save up to 25% off your first year. LifeLock.com. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you ready to elevate your driving experience? Then you need to head over to your hometown dealership, Parkside Kia, home of the lifetime warranty. Discover the latest Kia cars and SUVs where technology meets style. Our friendly staff is here to make your car buying experience a breeze. Don't wait. Visit Parkside Kia today and drive home in the Kia of your dreams. Check them out online at parksidekia.com and visit their showroom at 9929 Parkside Drive. Parkside Kia, where your journey begins. Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Are you tired of looking at that piece of furniture that is wore down, but you don't want to get rid of it? Go see our friends at Sun Upholstery and Fabric. Locally and family owned and operated with over 67 years of combined experience. Located at 8913 Oak Ridge Highway. Give them a call today at 865 237 3272 or visit them online at fabricsun.com 
That's fabricsun.com. And be sure to tell Stan that you heard about him right here on Fan Run Radio. Rounding out a Friday episode and edition of Overtime. We appreciate you listening along with us. A lot of great topics as we covered the um, Vols basketball success and looked ahead to the um, Tennessee-Alabama game tomorrow in the first hour. And we just um, talked college football, the new rules put in place. And um, in the I guess to begin the hour, we talked about the college basketball weekend. A lot of great stuff. We appreciate you listening along with us. Um, Max, uh, as we know, big game tomorrow. We covered it all first hour. Um, score prediction for tomorrow. Man, this one has potential to be in the hundreds, I think, possibly. Um, I'm going to go Alabama 88, Tennessee 83. I think that there's going to be a stretch, and it, it worries me. I feel like I can already see it happen. There's going to be like a four-minute stretch where they hit a couple threes in a row, maybe some contested ones that gets the crowd fired up, and then Tennessee can't answer a couple for a couple possessions, and it just becomes too much. You know, they're, they're down eight the rest of the game trying to, to find a run, and they, they can't. So that's kind of how I envision the game going. And I really do think a hot start like you had against Kentucky yeah. um, is really the key to this one. You do that, what you did up at Rupp at the, in the first half, you do that in Tuscaloosa, I do think you'll win the game. So I'm looking at the over-under for tomorrow because, you know, sometimes it's a little telling. Um, Let me guess. Go ahead. 178. 168. Wow. That's yeah. actually lower than I thought it would be. So they're, uh, I guess, in a sense, projecting a, what is this? An 84, 86 to 84, or. 86, 83 game. Yeah. 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 I think that's right. I mean, I, I was going to say um, probably 89, 86 Alabama. I think it'll be close. I just think um, their three-point shooting is going to get hot, and we have not defended that well enough to be able to be confident in it on the road. Um not saying I don't have trust in this group, but I think that it's a really tall task. Going on the road, everything on the line. I think if there were a Tennessee team that we've seen over the last five years, if there were a team to live up to that moment, it'd be this one. I agree. And you saw it against Kentucky. There are possibilities. I just don't like getting a track meet with the best offensive team. And I, I think uh, uh, not talked about key is how is this game officiated? You know, we saw last year when Alabama yeah. came here and earlier this year, if they allow Tennessee to be physical, you know, some crews, it seems like they they come in knowing Tennessee's physical and then look for it yeah. and kind of ding Tennessee too much. Um, if this game is officiated where there's allowed to be some physicality, I think that benefits Tennessee greatly because you can kind of make them uncomfortable, um, body them down low a little more. If this game is officiated more so like the Auburn game was a little bit where, you know, any contact's kind of a foul. I think that hurts Tennessee as well, especially on the road. Yeah, you know, I, I, they don't they don't attack the basket too often though. When they're in transition, they do, but when they're in their normal sets, it's not like they're attacking the basket. So that I think if Adu is able to stay out of foul trouble that way, um, you know, I think you're I think you're a little bit better off. Offensive rebounding's got to be a, a, a key of emphasis. It so. can't be a And M two point yeah, exactly. You'll get run out of the gym. Exactly. Well, Max, uh, you and I have shared the airwaves since August yes, when you uh, helped bring great. me in here. Um, and I've appreciated our time together. You are moving on now. Um, last time with Fox Sports uh, Knoxville. I've en- enjoyed it. want to give you your piece before we head out. Yeah, it's been great. I'll try and call in You know, now and then. I love March Madness. Great time of year. Um, for all the listeners, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'll be posting about, you know, 
my next step on there um, and, you know, loved being a part of this community, being in Knoxville, being able to talk about Tennessee sports, especially as a student, it's a really cool yeah. opportunity, really appreciative of the opportunity and love what you're doing with the show, William, and uh, I'll be a listener for sure moving right. forward. Well, I appreciate it. All right, that's going to wrap it up here on Overtime on a Friday. Um, go Vols this weekend, a big one. Let's hope we get it done. Max, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you. Ever been the coach who realized the team